Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You love them, you hate them, and you can't stop talking about them. Announcers, analysts, pundits, they're all fair game. It's Sports Media Mayhem with Alex Reamer. Time to let it rip. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Sports Media Mayhem podcast. My name is Alex Reamer, and we have a lot to get into this week. As always, keeping up with our theme from last episode, bringing back another returning champion for this week's show. Ben Fisher covers sports business and mainly the NFL and all the trappings that go along with that for Sports Business Journal. Uh, with the season now at an end and the postseason about to begin, thought it was a great time to bring on Ben, who joined us at the start of the NFL season, to talk about the year in the National Football League. The fact that the NFL remains more dominant than ever. 82. That's right. 82. Of the 100 most watched shows on TV this year, 2022, this past year, were NFL games. And that's so incredible given that ratings for everything, every live event, are plummeting downwards. And yet for the NFL, they're not just staying the same, they're getting better. And the NFL is becoming more dominant over its competition. So going to talk to Ben about that. And all things business NFL as we wrap up the 2022 regular season. Look ahead to the postseason, including what the Patriots business looks like now. Missing the playoffs for two out of the last three years. But before I do that, I want to follow up with a story that I hit on at the top of last week's show. And that would be ESPN versus the NFL. Last Monday night, of course, Bills, Bengals, DeMar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest on the field. Uh, Tremendous news that he has been released from Buffalo Hospital on Wednesday. Um, But the NFL got a lot of heat Monday night because Joe Buck said four times in about a 45-minute span that the league had given the teams five minutes to warm up and continue play after Hamlin collapsed on the field. After the game, Troy Vincent, the NFL's executive vice president, vehemently denied that the league ever considered restarting the game calling the assertion, uh, quote, ridiculous and insensitive. But, well, ESPN has now come back with the tiebreaker. And if there was any doubt, the NFL is covering its ass. Uh, One of ESPN's ace investigative reporters, Don Van Natta Jr., published the piece on Tuesday, on Monday night, rather, ground-up decision, how Bill's Bengals led the way after DeMar Hamlin collapsed. And basically, the piece backs up Buck entirely, and it contains multiple damning quotes from an unnamed high-ranking team official about the chaos that ensued following Hamlin's 
on-field collapse. The official says the NFL chief football administrator, Don Appointee, uh, who was in Cincinnati, was fielding calls from league executives who wanted players to return to the field. The Lord himself could come down and we were not playing again, said the unnamed official. She was getting pressure. She was not getting consistent and direct messaging that she deserved to receive. Later in the story, this unnamed team official takes direct name at aim at Troy Vincent, saying, quote, the league screws this bleep up because Troy Vincent screws this up. That's the wrong person in the wrong position at the absolute wrong time. He wants to be the hero, but he will never take accountability. That's him to a T. And Joe Buck is quoted in this piece as well, saying what he said in the past that ESPN's rules expert, John Perry, was in communication with people in the league office who were telling him that the original plan was to restart the game in five minutes. That was repeated on the ESPN Deportes broadcast and repeated on the Westwood One radio broadcast. And the play-by-play man for Westwood One is Rich Eisen, who's the NFL Network's most prominent and important and well-known on-air personality. So, I mean, look, this was obvious, and I talked about this last week on the show, before this ESPN expose came out. It's obvious that Joe Buck was relaying what was told to him at the time that the NFL intended for the game to resume. He said it four separate times, was never corrected, and the league is now trying to cover for itself. Uh, I mean, Joe Buck is one of the most accomplished broadcasters of all time. The NFL and ESPN are multi-billion dollar business partners. ESPN pays the NFL $2.6 billion annually to broadcast Monday Night Football. The idea that Joe Buck would peddle misinformation about one of the most sensitive moments and stories in sports history on Monday Night Football is just absurd. It's ridiculous. And I don't understand why Troy Vincent and the NFL continues to push back. I don't understand it. You know, why can't they say, yeah, look, when DeMar Hamlin first collapsed, we were following our playbook, which is to resume the game. This happens from time to time. Players do need to be taken out in ambulances, on stretchers, and we always resume the game. So yes, that was our original plan. Once it became apparent that this was not a typical situation, we made the decision to postpone the game, which the league did. They ultimately came to the right decision. They postponed the game. So what? It, why are they covering themselves? And why are they painting Joe Buck as this peddler of innuendo and, again, misinformation? And, look, I'll give ESPN a lot of credit in this regard. Uh, we talk a lot about how NFL rights holders are constantly afraid of the billionaire owners and they kowtow to the league. And ESPN certainly does its share of that with a lot of its pregame coverage and game broadcast coverage. But there is not another rights holder that would go at the NFL at the way in which ESPN did with this piece, publishing an article on their website by one of their best investigative reporters refuting everything the NFL has said about the timeline of last Monday night. And ESPN has reported aggressively on the NFL, whether it's the Washington Commanders and Daniel Snyder's situation, the concussion crisis years ago, uh, ESPN president Jimmy Patero, one of his first acts of business was trying to heal the fractured relationship between ESPN and the National Football League. So as I said, I give ESPN a lot of crap 
And in a lot of cases, it is deserved. But in this case, they deserve a lot of credit for being a rights holder that is not afraid to go at the NFL and dig into the NFL when appropriate. And this story by Don Van Nata Jr. is a great example of that. What was not great in the aftermath of DeMar Hamlin, and it was, it's an in incredible story, as, as I said, one of the most incredible stories, sports history, a, a remarkable recovery. Of course, Bill's Patriots this past Sunday, Naheem Hines returned the opening kick for a touchdown and returned another kick for a touchdown as well. So we can talk about the Patriots' awful special teams all we want. But that was such a special moment, especially when Hines returned the first kick for a score. And to hear Tony Romo just talk all over it and stomp all over it with his childish gibberish on the telecast was really, really tough. I mean, Tony, you got to calm down and let the moment breathe. Finally, after several seconds, a producer seemingly got in Romo's ear or maybe Nance like elbowed him in the gut and said, shut up and let this moment speak for itself. But Romo was just a disjointed mess on Sunday. He didn't offer much in terms of analysis at all. And the Hamlin stuff, like, it was over the top. I mean, it was, it was, it was not delivered with tact, saying that angels carried Naheem Hines to the end zone. I mean, Tony Romo knows that Hamlin did survive, right? I mean, to say that angels are carrying Naheem Hines to the end zone was just, I think, it was over the top. It was over the top. And Romo started as such a promising broadcaster. And look, anytime you write an article about him, tons of people read it. Read it. Uh, my most recent one, if I pat myself on the back, I'll do it here, uh, is, is the latest example of that. People can't get enough of Tony Romo but he's turned into a caricature the last couple of years. He's turned into the John Madden of the old day of, uh, you know, he's turned into the late career John Madden, uh, which is not a compliment. Mostly stick with him. He used to predict plays. He doesn't do that anymore. I don't, I mean, he said on Sunday that the Patriots have found their offensive identity. Really? They got shut out just two weeks ago in the first half against the Bengals and didn't even cross midfield in that game. So, I, again, I don't think Romo even really prepared for Sunday's telecast. Uh, that was bad. That was a bad, bad performance from Tony Romo. That's for sure. Um, but, of course, it was a bad performance from the Patriots this year. 8-9 and nine record. Missed the playoffs for the second time in three years. It will now be four years in which the Patriots will be without a playoff victory. You know that Robert Kraft can't be happy about that. And in fact, Robert Kraft said as much. He issued a letter to season ticket holders. First thing Monday morning, quote, we can assure you that no one in our organization is satisfied with the results from this past season. In the weeks ahead, we will be making critical evaluations, Kraft says, of all elements of our football operation as we strive to improve and return to the playoffs next year. So clearly the owner is not very happy. And the coach is seemingly trying to protect himself, not guaranteeing that Mac Jones will start next year, saying the Patriots are one of the lowest spending teams in the league if you average it out over the last three years. And this is obviously going to be a very crucial offseason in Foxborough. I don't think Bill Belichick is going to be fired or pushed out, but the Crafts have to ask themselves a serious question. And the question is this. Here's what's coming up with Bill. He is 18 wins away from breaking Don Shula's all-time wins record. 
I think it goes without saying that the Crafts would prefer Belichick break that record with them. But is keeping on Belichick to break that record worth it if you don't have faith he's the right guy to get your football team back to perennial playoff and eventually Super Bowl contention? Because this year, I don't think it was the talent. You know, they spent more money than any other team in the league on receivers and tight ends. We combined both of them. They had a talented defense. Mac Jones showed a lot of promise in his rookie season, as we know. Uh, you know, they should have won the Raiders game. They should have beaten the Bengals if Stevenson didn't fumble in the red zone. This team, for all of its flaws, should have been a 10 or 11 win team. But they were an 8 win team. Why? Because of coaching. Because of Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. Because of having no offensive philosophy. Uh, mental mistakes. Special teams blunders. Which we saw Sunday with Hines' two kickoff returns for a touchdown. And look, Bill Belichick right now is the Patriots brand. There's no doubt about it. But how valuable is that brand? When you're going 8-9. and nine, When you're getting passed over and removed from Sunday night football games, which happened twice this season. I mean, Raiders-Patriots, it's flexed from Sunday night football. When, when, when did you think you would ever say that, that the Patriots were flexed from Sunday night football? Frankly, look, if the Crafts don't think that Belichick is the right guy to get them back, or that Belichick is going to listen and surround himself with the right people and the right coaches, then keeping him around just so he can pass you his record and so you could have a nice day at Gillette Stadium in two years, is just not worth it. It's so not worth it. So the Crafts have a few very interesting decisions to make as we head into this offseason. And to talk more about that, and again, the NFL as a whole, continuing its dominance, I give you one of our good friends, Ben Fisher of Sports Business Journal. That's coming up on the other side. It's a Sports Media Mayhem podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. And welcome back to the Sports Media Mayhem podcast. As I said in the opening, bringing back one of our returning champions from the start of the NFL season, Ben Fisher, covers the NFL and NFL business for Sports Business Journal. Ben, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Alex. Yeah, good to have you back here. Hard to believe we last connected at the start of September, and here we are now working our way towards gray mid-January. Um, yeah. <laughs> and back to our five-day work weeks. Um so I want to start with this. The NFL last year accounted for 75 of the 100 most watched shows on TV. This year, 82 of the 100 most watched shows on TV uh, in an era in which everything is bleeding viewers in live TV. The NFL continues to be more dominant than ever. What do you make of this? Well, we can talk about the NFL for sure, but I think maybe the big untold story of that number is that that number increased in Olympics here. Wow. Traditional sports media thinking would be that in the Olympic year, the NFL share would go down because we love the Olympics so much. Well, maybe we love the Olympics, but we did apparently not love the Beijing Winter Olympics because I right. think only one night of the Winter Olympics made that top 100 list where traditionally half dozen Olympic nights would be on that list. So without the Olympics to kind of take that oxygen out of the, out of the room, the NFL just kept going on its trajectory, which is more and more 
eating more and more of the world and there really is not even a number three. I used to say there was no number two to the NFL and media. There's no number three to the NFL and media. Not even the Olympics used to be number two, I guess. And they're not even that anymore. Yeah. I mean, what do you, what do you make of that? I mean, because even sports, you know, all live sports rate better today than Oscars, Emmys, et cetera, but even NBA, MLB certainly have been losing viewers on a national level for years, but the NFL is not, I think this year, what was that Thanksgiving game? Giants, uh, Eagle, uh, Cowboys, yeah. Giants was the highest rated regular yeah. season game in like 30 years. That's insane. Right, right. Well, I mean, some of his things we've all known for a long time that once a week on Sundays or Thursdays works into our lives a lot better than the NBA schedule. Or sometimes they play three days and four, three games in four days, and sometimes they're off for a week. And the hot, NHL is worse than anybody as far as like fan friendly scheduling goes. Um, but I think. It's, it's more than that. I think the NFL is particularly good at uh, packaging his product and selling his product. And strength turns into strength. And what I mean by that is that the regional cable networks that have shown us basketball, hockey, and baseball for the last generation are dying. There is no business model for the, the Massens. And the, I mean, yes, network maybe is an exception because of the Yankees, but still, those are awful businesses right now where the NFL because of its strength and its unique national appeal mm. can stay on broadcast TV where even right. somebody like me who has an antenna 17 or 18 streaming services but no cable I can't watch the Yankees routine games right I can watch any NFL game I want right to. and I think that's a situation where the NFL's strength allows it to become even stronger these days that's a really interesting. We've all got the networks, you know. Yeah, and we and we have Amazon Prime probably more likely than some of us have, you know, cable for these regional networks. Right. And that's such an interesting point that I actually hadn't considered. Like I'm in Boston and Nesson for years. I mean, ever since John Henry bought the team has been a cash cow for the Red Sox, but now I'm wondering maybe it isn't. I mean, this past year they introduced some Nesson streaming option which seemed so overpriced and I can't right. imagine anyone would ever pay for it. But that is a good point that, you know, baseball, basketball, they're really hooked to these regional sports networks that only a few years ago were giving out record setting deals to teams, too, and teams of ownership of it. But as you said, they, those that's that's a tough business. And the NFL has avoided all of that. Right. The NFL simply doesn't have it. I mean, there's some right. interesting things going on. Some of the better run, bigger market RSNs are starting to get into ways to distribute the games differently. But the price, I mean, what is it, $30 a Insane. month? For the, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know you love the socks up there, but $30 a month for one game, team's game? I don't know. That just doesn't work out at all to me. And then that's even assuming, like, I think it was somebody did a study for Yes that even people do describe themselves as big Yankees fans were watching, like, 40% of the innings that yes broadcast in a given week during the season, like even big fans can't possibly just turn on cable TV at seven o'clock every night, six days in a row. NFL is just more manageable and it's so strategically important to all the broadcast partners. I mean, what would CBS be without six hours every Sunday afternoon to tell us about those sitcoms that apparently a lot of people watch, but I don't know any of them. Have you so, ever seen the big bang theory? Unfortunately, a few times. I, I wish I had those half hours of my life back. But yeah, it's like, so So I wish this was my own joke, but it was like, well, Jim Nance is, uh, I'm Jim Nance and I'm Tony Romo. And before the game, here's a promo of the nation's biggest sitcom you've never heard of. Never and heard like, of. That is CBS. So, so CBS depends on the NFL so much 
to drive the rest of their business. And so does Fox and everybody else to varying degrees that they put so much effort into it too. the NFL. Again, that's a strength turning into strength that they're they've got other people doing their work in terms of promoting the games. Plus, it's just it's in a really good place right now with the young quarterback stars. Just the action on the field is good. You know, the old timers will complain about we should put skirts on the quarterbacks or whatever. But nobody turns in to see the backup quarterback. No. I think the league has improved. Look, there's always unfortunate injuries. But my strong anecdotal sense is that your stars are on the field more consistently than they maybe were 10 or 15 years ago. The NFL has got a handle on that. Um, and it's just it's fun. I can't believe how much football I watch. Yeah. No, I mean, that, I mean, nothing is a bigger bummer than a big quarterback injury in a primetime game or a playoff game. And you're right. And that and the NFL is doing all it can to protect the TV product. Um, and moving forward, they have the $2 billion deal with YouTube for Sunday tickets. So even the NFL now is moving right straight on to the digital and streaming age and getting the right. same money they were on network. Right, right. The uh, YouTube deal, you know, I've learned to never bet against the NFL getting their number ultimately. But, you know, DirecTV was not quiet about the fact that a million, a billion and a half dollars a year was a big money loser for them because it just wasn't as good a product as it used to be. One of the things that's interesting about Sunday Ticket is as they've expanded other as they as they've expanded Thursday night football and the international games, those are all games that used to be in the Sunday Ticket package. And now they're not. You know, if you're I, I added it up, if you're a Cowboys fan living in New York, the Cowboys were available on regular TV. 14 out of 17 games this year. So you don't right. even need Sunday ticket in the way you used to, to see out of market games. Yeah. And so like direct TV was like, we would love to be rid of this. And there was some skepticism. The NFL would find somebody to increase that number, but sure enough, Google and YouTube found a way to presumably it's a loss leader to drive subs to YouTube. And that's fine. That works for them. It works for the NFL for sure. So Another way that even something where it seemed like the NFL's right. dominance of Thursday night was going to under maybe undermine its out of market package with Sunday ticket, it all comes up roses for them. And that just all goes back to just how popular it is. Undoubtedly. And even the red zone channel, I mean, now you have the Scott Hansen red zone that you can purchase separately from this Sunday ticket. So right. yeah, that is a huge part too. Um, I want to move on to and I saw you tweeting about this. I find the story very interesting. Um, this kind of back and forth between ESPN and the NFL on the timeline of Bills Bengals and whether the NFL ever intended to restart the game. I mean, I think it's pretty clear to me, Ben, especially after reading Don Van Nata's piece, but it was clear to me at the time, like Joe Buck obviously was not going to be spreading unfounded innuendo about one of the right. most sensitive moments in sports history multiple times without getting corrected if it was wrong. So I just don't understand why the NFL, it's not at the biggest deal in the world, but from a PR standpoint, why can't they just say like, yes, when this first happened, we were following protocol and thought we could continue the game because that's what we've always done. And when it became apparent this was not a usual circumstance, we postponed. And they did. They ultimately wound up in the right place. So I just don't understand why they continue to lie. That's what they're doing, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I thought ESPN, now it is a little slightly weird that ESPN was both publishing and the subject of that story. So right. I understand there's an internal conflict there that maybe you, you know, look at this through that. But I thought ESPN's position, Joe Buck's position in particular, was extremely credible on this. It sure looks to me like they didn't make that up. Uh, there's a million reasons to think they wouldn't. It seems indisputable to me that at some point between 8.55 p.m. and 10.01 p.m., the NFL intended that game to continue that night. 
I don't know exactly how long. I, I clearly they didn't, and I'm inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt. Damn. This is a this is a fog of war situation. It was effectively unprecedented in modern times, at least. And it wasn't the most important thing. The most important thing was saving Demar Hamlin's life, and they did that, and they should be credited for that. I mean, not they, but the system yeah, and the yeah. EMTs and everybody else. But when Troy Vincent doubled down on it and like starts crying and getting emotional during a press conference because he's so profoundly insulted by the implication, well, that makes me a little less inclined to give everybody the benefit of the doubt because my ears perk up and say, well, now we've got a real story here. You know, had you not come back around to it and turned it into a question of morality, Mr. Vincent, right. I might have said, hey, you know, crazy things happen in a crisis. Yeah. Let's let it go. But that just was this huge invitation to everybody. And I, I sort of danced into it a little bit in my newsletter last Thursday. But Don Van Nata has got sources I don't. that has got sources almost nobody else has. So he was able to get to the crux of it. And nothing in there surprised me at all. Like I said, you can see with your own eyes that at least for some period, both the Bills and the Bengals thought they were going to re resume that game. Yeah. To me, I think the answer is fairly straightforward because I've got personal experience with asking the NFL a specific question and then getting a general answer in response. So many times on fairly low stakes business things, I say, how are you going to handle this situation? And they give me an answer that is, this is how we handle those situations as a general rule. And I think, but you didn't answer my question. Right. I am I am nearly certain that what happened was ESPN was told by somebody, generally speaking, after extended injury delay, we give everyone a five-minute warm-up period, and then we go back to action. And whoever said that either was unauthorized or unpermitted or unthoughtful enough to realize that this was a special situation. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and while that conversation was going on, Troy Vincent and other people were actually managing the real crisis in front of them and ultimately sort of were told by the players or however they came together that they were not going to restart that game. Yeah, I, I think the timeline is pretty apparent. I'm not sure why they just don't say that, as you said. But what I find really also interesting about the Don Van Nata piece is it wasn't just, um, you know, refuting the NFL's timeline about last Monday night. It really went in on Troy Vincent with an unnamed team source saying that Troy Vincent screws all of this bleep up and basically saying, I don't have the direct quote, that that, that but that he's in over his head as executive vice president. Um, and I just think, you know, ESPN gets a lot of criticism some of it right, you know, some of it rightful criticism, some of it wrong criticism, but I do give them a lot of credit for being the only rights holder that will dig into the NFL when appropriate, whether it's the commanders and Daniel Snyder years ago, we know the concussion uh, stories they were publishing and pursuing and Jimmy right. Pataro, even one of his first acts of president, right, was to repair this relationship with the NFL. So I do think it's pretty cool that ESPN, for all of its massive conflicts of interest, and they certainly exist, still has enough of that journalism wall where they will publish this in-depth investigative piece, whereas CBS, which has a robust news division as well, obviously, uh, I don't think they would touch something like this on 60 Minutes, for example. So I give ESPN a lot of credit with that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I guess I'm a little reluctant to compare using hypotheticals because this was ESPN's broadcast. That's true. But, um, yeah. but I think I think it's a fair point. They they went hard on this one. I think, you know, they went hard in part because they were upset about the NFL denying the plain facts here. 
um, I think. But, you know, Don Van Atta does what he wants, to be clear. Him and Seth Weckersham are not going to be told by anybody to not pursue a good story. So I think that's the ESPN is giving extraordinary credit. I agree with you there. You know, and, you know, and even taking a step back, let's widen the lens out from the NFL, which always has like everyone's attention on it for these sorts of conflicts and rights holder conflicts. But let's let's take a step back to sports media in general. If you were to put together a a clips reel of the 15 most critical minutes that Fox Sports broadcast about the government of Qatar and the World Cup, it would have been much less damning than ESPN's one report about this five minute question, the night of DeMar yeah. Hamlin's injury. Right. I mean, in a month of world right. coverage coverage, Fox didn't come close yeah. to holding up their, their business partner or FIFA or cutter or anybody right. to the criticism and, and thoughtful analysis that ESPN and did then that one story. So it's, yeah. it's, it's extraordinary actually that they went that hard in the NFL in that situation. It is. And and Fox, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I was just going to say it just sort of it furthers this sense of uh, a loose end to this story, because I still am dying to know, like, who in the NFL decided to double down on this? Was that right. was that Troy Vincent himself? Right. Because right. I feel like communications, classic strategic communications advice would be like, let that go. You know, it's not the big thing. We're having a good week. Our emergency action plans are being credited with saving this man's life. We're getting good headlines. Let's not pick a fight we're probably going to lose because it sure looks like we're lying. Right, yeah. You wonder, is Troy Vincent going rogue? I mean, Goodell does not manage himself like this, so. Right, it's, it's- right. And and by the way, another point, you're getting me wound up on this because just that hour after Hamlin went down was so vivid. The point Buck made in the article that we were telling everybody repeatedly that they were going to come back to play Nobody from the NFL called us. Again, I understand that the lion's share of the energy in that environment had to be on Hamlin himself. But surely there were NFL communications employees watching that game. Any one of them could have called somebody at ESPN and said, whoa, whoa, you guys are way off here. We're not restarting this game. And the fact they didn't, even after the decision had been made, you know, it's just it's still not a completely told story in a certain way. No, it's not. We got to get Don Van Natta for the follow-up. Or maybe Ben Fisher for the follow-up. How about that, Ben? I'll Let's get working go. on it. <laughs> last question i want to ask you um this is something that's being debated a little bit here in boston i want to get your kind of business insight on it um bill belichick in the future bill belichick with the patriots there's this question i think is interesting he's 18 wins away from passing don shula's all-time record so it seems like it'll take him two seasons to get to that mark um when thinking about the future of the patriots franchise how much of a factor and how valuable do you think it is for the business of the Patriots, for Bill Belichick to break that record standing on the sideline in Foxborough versus Denver, Carolina, or somewhere else? Do you think it's a big factor or shouldn't really be a factor at all? Interesting question. Um, you know, I think that's probably matters more to Robert Kraft than it does to Bill Belichick. Hmm, interesting. Um, yeah. I think Robert is the sort of sentimental not to say he's excessively emotionally driven. Obviously, he makes good business decisions, but emotions are a big part of Robert Kraft's life. And I think that's steered him well for eight decades. Um, and I think he probably feels, um, I've speculated to be clear, but I think he probably feels more of an obligation to make sure that happens on his sideline than Bill Belichick does. 
I think we know Bill Belichick well enough from thousands of awful press conferences over the years <laughs> to know that he'd like that record, but he's not going to, you know, make that more important than everything else in his life. And I don't know, I guess I, obviously he's not going anywhere this year, but the Belichick craft thing reminds me of that Seinfeld where Jerry's telling Elaine that you don't break up with somebody once right away. It's like knocking over a vending machine. You got to rock it back and forth a couple of times. <laughs> and the Belichick craft relationship is clearly being rocked back and forth a couple of times. You know, in 1989, uh, Dan Rooney made Chuck Knoll fire his defensive coordinator, Tony Dungy. In hindsight, it was obvious that Noel would be gone within a couple of years. Just once that sort of thing starts happening, right. people are looking for the exit and the bonds right. aren't the same. And I'm not going to say when it's happening, but the Belichick, the end of the Belichick saga is clearly in play there. And whether that happens in 18, game, 18 wins or not, I right. think Bill worries about that that much. I think Robert Kraft would really like that to happen with the Patriots because it builds the – first of all, it is an emotional thing. He feels some connection and wants that to happen. But also it, it builds the Patriots – Brand the the saga the, the mystique right to have that happen yeah it does but if you're if Belichick's celebrating a win over the backup quarterback of the Panthers and they're you know slogging their way to another eight and nine season I don't know I don't I don't I don't, I don't yeah know. I mean to be clear I don't think Robert Kraft would do that at all cost either right but I think he likes that as a headline in his mind totally. as he's picturing the future I mean he's not going to keep Belichick beyond another year just for that but just thinking about that i think he's more animated than about it than, than bill himself is but you know if we have another year of not making the playoffs in that eight and nine nine and eight window bill's got better things to do right yeah we'll see the vending machine keeps rocking and the first big rock may be if Kraft tells him to stop hiring his buddies as offensive coordinator and get you know like a real a real coach Seriously? That's why i mentioned the, that's why i mentioned the dungy chuck Knoll in the late 80s thing that like Chuck Knoll did not care. Even Dan Rooney wasn't allowed to tell Chuck Knoll who would fire and fire at coordinator. And he did. And it didn't end right that day. But that was the beginning of the end for sure. Ben Fisher, read him at Sports Business Journal all year long. Ben, thanks for the time. Sure thing. Anytime. Happy to do it.